Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 138. Happy New Year's from all of us here at TV TV Industries. All of us is really just me. Oh, and the wizard. The wizard is always here behind the scenes making sure that these episodes sound good. But I hope you had a great kickoff to 2020. I think that this is an appropriate episode to kick off the year because this guest might make you feel really lazy and that might make you get your ass into gear because she's doing all sorts of stuff. My guest is Chef Priyanka Nike, and she is first and foremost a chef, like the name says, but she was a champion on Chefs versus Cons on the Food Network. She works for Twitter. She is a traveler. She eventually, I think, will have a cookbook. She's got some really cool partnerships with some great brands. She does pop-up events that she curates and cooks for. She's doing so many different things. And I really think that her star has yet to shine as bright as it can. I could definitely see her being a TV personality, a TV chef, and having a show one day. Because she's really full of energy. She puts a lot of effort into her brand and into all the work that she does. So I think that a couple years down the line here, after listening to this episode, you are going to see her really blow up. And maybe even TV TV had a hand in that. This is a global podcast, after all. Please go to the show notes for this episode so that you can find, as always, the information for today's guest. Give Priyanka a follow on Instagram. She's got some great Insta stories, talks a lot about sustainability, and all of her travel stories are up on there. Go to her website where she's got recipes and all, uh, all sorts of other really cool stuff and links to all of the projects and things that she's working on. So make sure you do that. Also in the show notes for this episode, as always, is a link to the Patreon account for this podcast. If you decide to become a subscriber, you'll get some cool stuff. And the subscription fee that you give, uh, it's totally up to you. And it will go to keeping these episodes coming. And I greatly appreciate that. Got a lot of stuff coming your way in 2020. I'm using this conversation that I had today with Priyanka as motivation for myself as well. Thank you to Emmanuel Pineda, the hungry Dominican, who doesn't even know it, but in a way he helped set this up today because I was clicking around through the different people that he follows and the people that he's affiliated with and the things that he likes. And I saw Priyanka and I thought, man, she'd be really cool for this podcast. So thank you, M. Thank you to the Farm Soho for a space today to record. And sorry that I went a little bit over. You'll hear uh, this episode doesn't really get cut short, but we had to hurry it up at the end. All right, folks, enjoy this conversation with Priyanka.
first of all, thank you. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. You have had uh, quite the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, it's been it's been a long, good, fun year. But as most ambitious people, I'm not a hundred percent satisfied because there's so much more I could have done. So we'll we'll say that for the new decade. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that uh, I'm appreciative is I get to see people who. I often think you're like on the cusp of something. Um, and I think you're really on the cusp of something big. So like I'll have the pleasure in 10 years of looking back on these conversations and be like, damn, like I knew it. <laughs> I called it right there. God, I hope so. <laughs> well, all right. So my lens, I guess, for this conversation and for what I know about you uh, largely stems from food. So I guess I'll use that as mm-hmm. the context to sort of start out this conversation. Uh, but first, you are, you're from Staten Island. Yes, I'm from Shaolin. Okay. So I'm hoping you know that reference. The Wu-Tang. Yes, <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you. Every time I say that, people are like, what? You're a monk? And I'm like, no. <laughs> from Shaolin, like Wu-Tang, thug. Staten Island gets... Uh, a bad rap. <laughs> yeah, I guess in the, in the popular conceptions about New York City, Staten Island is often left out. Um, it still is. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, I guess... Early life, what's what's it like growing up on Staten Island? <laughs> what is a brown girl doing on Staten Island? Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Staten Island. We are definitely the forgotten borough. Mm. Like People don't necessarily know about it. It is one of the most different boroughs out of the five because it's completely residential and they decided to not extend the subway yeah. down through the Verrazano Bridge to connect us to you know the rest of the city. So it, it is a bit isolated. And even from a political standpoint, everyone there is Republican, mm-hmm. like through and through, like Trump is there like... That's their man. Yeah. So it's very different from the rest of the city. Uh, for us, I I was born and brought up there. Uh, I have two older sisters, and my middle sister was also born there. My oldest sister was born in Greenwich Village, so she okay. has the she's proud about saying yeah. that she was born <laughs> in Manhattan. But what else? Um, my parents came settled there because uh, my dad was a surgeon, and after oh. doing residency in Manhattan in the late 70s, 80s, Manhattan was not the place to necessarily raise a family Mm -hmm. and um, have like a safe home. It was still a little bit dodgy and edgy. And especially as immigrants, they wanted to have a nice home and raise their kids and whatnot, which led them to Staten Island. Because Staten Island at the time, especially the South Shore, was just kind of coming up from a residential standpoint. He got a very good position as the chief of surgery at Staten Island University Hospital. So it kind of all blossomed from there. Um, But my upbringing is probably very different from most first generation Indian Americans because I was not surrounded by Indian people at all, aside from my immediate family. So my perspective on food and the world, I think, is a bit different than... Uh, you know, one of my friends who's Indian, who's grown up, let's say in Ohio or New Jersey, which is right next door, which is much more populated with kind of people who look similar to them. Whereas for me, it was very different. So I would imagine then, I I, I know that Staten Island is, is largely Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine then um, a lot of like your early introductions, like food and food culture started in the home. Yeah. So... Okay. Given that our surroundings were largely Caucasian, like Italian and now very much Russian and mm. Polish, 
it was that much more important for my parents, um, for them to instill our, our culture and values of our heritage within our home because there was no other way for us to learn about it. So I learned Kannada, which is my native Indian tongue, before I learned English when I was little oh. in the house. Yeah. We constantly were cooking and we went to India every single year because wow. my entire family is there. So my kind of connection to my Indian culture was very strong, even though I didn't have too many people that looked like me around me because my parents made it a point for us to learn about the food, cooking alongside my mom or going to the temple or speaking our language. And so I think that piece has has had a lasting impact on my life in terms of how I cook and then how I think about food and like the ingredients I use and, and all of that. Very cool. Um, did did that then also, uh, is that where your, your love of travel started from, going to India? Yeah, so we traveled to India every year growing up because our whole family was there. And so I think, I think my first trip as an infant was like a 15-hour flight to yeah. Bombay, <laughs> which is like, you know, you just got to throw them right in there. But uh, yeah, we traveled a lot when I was younger during summer vacations. Like my dad put a lot of effort into taking the time that he had to make sure that we saw some of Europe, at least all of the Caribbean, like Hawaii, all of these places that we can learn about a different culture and ultimately kind of get away, right? Mm. And learn, become more worldly in terms of how we're looking at the world. So I had been traveling from a very young age and liked to explore just through what my family and I did. And that kind of propelled me into pushing myself to continuous, like continuing to travel on my own. Um, so then in college, I studied abroad. Oh, okay. Which... I started abroad in London, so not anywhere super hey, it's something. exotic and glamorous, <laughs> but London is one of those places that's very central, so it gives you access to For so sure. many different countries that we wouldn't normally have access to here from an economical standpoint, like being in the U.S. It's just much cheaper to travel. Oh, yeah, those... Yeah. those uh even those uh, European flights from country to country are super Easy cheap. Jet, Ryan at Ryanair's will scare Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guess the job done. <laughs> Ryanair is like uh, is like Lion Air. Do you know Lion Air? Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. There's a terrible crash in Indonesia last year, yeah. and we were flying on Lion the next morning. Oh my god. Um, so yeah, a little sketchy, so I get it. Yeah. Um, I saw, though, that you said that you are, in, in regards to cooking, you are self-trained and self-taught. Yeah, so... I started obsessively watching Food Network in okay. middle wow. school. <laughs> yeah, I just, that that time Food Network is very much like the instructional cooking shows, mm-hmm. like an Emerald or a Bobby Flay or someone just standing there and teaching you how to make a dish. It was less of like the competitive shows and more of the instructional cooking shows. And I just, I really liked it because each each time I watched a new show, it was learning something new, like a technique or something that they did. Most of the time it was non-veg, so I couldn't necessarily directly apply it to kind of how we ate, but it was just more learning different techniques. And so through obsessively watching Food Network and watching my parents cook, and it's, my dad actually is the one who taught my mom how to cook oh, wow. way back when, but then she's just naturally very good at it. So she took those teachings and, you know, created a whole world of cuisine within our house. Like we grew up eating 
different types of cuisines every night. So like Indian, Mexican, Middle Eastern, Italian. Oh, that's really so cool. We're a very picky family, so we couldn't eat the same type of cuisine um, two nights in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of pushed us to try different types of food. And so all self-taught through, you know, cooking alongside my parents and also obsessively watching Food Network and making a conscious decision to not go to culinary school, actually. And I thought about it in high school when you're in high school and all the different college representatives come in. Oh, yeah. There were some that came in from Johnson and Wales, um, NCIA, uh, Culinary Institute yeah. of America, <laughs> Central Intelligence <laughs> Agency. Um, that'd be cool, and, too, though. I know, that'd be cool. I'm not that cool. And, you know, I was chatting with them about going, and there was a few things that deterred me from kind of going down that path, which is if you go to culinary school right out of high school, you don't have the opportunity to learn like other professional skills. Mm. Like I can't go and take an economics course at Johnson and Wales alongside doing a culinary course. And that made me nervous because uh, I didn't want to put myself out there in the world without having other professional basic skills that could be of monetary value. Mm, yeah. In, I feel that now because, yeah. I mean, I went to school for education yeah. um, and uh, I'm looking to branch out a bit and, and when I look at jobs, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, where are my skills? Because yeah. I don't know if I have any. It's tough. So it's it's more of the, the practical reasons there, but mm. from the actual culin- like culinary creative artistic reason was um, when I really thought about it, I was like, culinary school was developed by Europeans. It's mm. mainly French yeah, and yeah, Italian-based. Yeah. And I don't really think it's in line with my cooking style. My cooking style is much more Eastern-based. It's based on my heritage and background. And I don't think I would necessarily learn what I want to learn in culinary school because of the style that they're kind of pushing through, you know, sous-veing something, doing all that. Like, I don't... It's really not who I am. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think it would be a worthwhile investment. And also, you have to cook meat if you go to culinary school. There's no way around it. And I I became vegetarian about 11 or 12 years ago. So even when I was applying, I ate chicken and seafood. But I would be put in positions where I would have to, you know, cook a steak or a lamb and, all yeah. that and taste it. And I it kind of went against my philosophy. So well, you are a really grounded 18-year-old then. <laughs> A bit, yeah, a bit of a dweeb, but that's okay. <laughs> um, what uh, what made you make that conscious decision to uh, you know pursue a lifestyle of vegetarianism? Oh, that was for um, environmental and ethical mm. reasons, and and mainly because of my love of animals. And I didn't really like non-veg food. It was just for us growing up. It was difficult because you know, my parents would be put in positions where there's minimal options, not much to eat, all of that. And so if chicken was on the menu, we just, you know, got into the habit of eating chicken and Mm. seafood kind of rolled itself in there. Um, But we never grew up eating beef or any red meat because we're Hindu and that's against Mm -hmm. our religion and philosophy. And as I grew older and honestly watching one too many PETA videos, yeah, <laughs> uh, just doing my own research on it, I just, especially in this country, the way factory farming is done and how animals are treated, I just, I wasn't okay with 
um, treating another being in a way that I wouldn't want to be treated. So I just didn't think it was fair. And so I just kind of stopped cold one day. So as a chef, right, you know, an argument you often hear strictly from a like food for pleasure standpoint is people are like, well, there's nothing that can replicate the taste of meat. So do you have a recommendation for like a gateway drug into vegetarianism? And it doesn't have to be like, well, jackfruit is close to shredded chicken or something like that. It doesn't have to be something that resembles meat. Yeah. What is something you think is just like so killer that like somebody would not be able to n- deny that a vegetarian diet is delicious? So that's a great question. And my response is I, I never look to replicate meat because... Mm-hmm. The way I cook is really based on shedding light on putting the vegetable at the forefront and not having it as an afterthought or a side dish. Mm. And there are hundreds of styles of cuisines within India itself, all different types of Indian cuisines, where you wouldn't even you wouldn't even care that the dish doesn't have meat mm-hmm. because we're so creative in how we use different ingredients that are vegetarian, that are like legumes, lentils, all of that. That it wouldn't cross your mind that like oh there's not there's not a giant piece of meat on this plate because that's not the way we eat. So my my response or my argument there is I actually my motive is to get a lot of carnivores to eat my food and be satisfied and understand that there's more than just having like meat, mm. potatoes, and a vegetable as a side thought on a plate. That's a very Western perspective oh, yeah. on food. So I don't think there's necessarily a single gateway drug or ingredient. However, there are dishes that I know have have come close to converting people. Okay, give me one of those. Um, and one of them I made it on when I was on Food Network, but it is a play on an Indian street food dish called bao bhaji, which is oh. which is it's kind of like a Indian sloppy joe. Whoa, okay. Which is Sloppy Joes, I've never eaten a Sloppy Joe. Uh-huh. <laughs> just the, the look and kind of feel of it and also like the nostalgia mm-hmm. associated with Sloppy Joe is like very similar to Pau Bhaji, which is slowly stewed um, mixed vegetables with a very like spicy sauce and masala as we call it. And there's a lot of butter and ghee and it's served with like toasted pao, which is buns and topped with a lot of fresh cilantro or coriander and you kind of like put the the sloppy vegetables on the bread oh. and you eat it, which is very similar to a sloppy gel. Yeah. It's funny because I've had this conversation with people before and just last episode we were talking about this Indonesian dessert and I don't think, so in New York City we, we, we have a really strong food culture obviously, yeah. but all over the States we don't have the same type of street food culture that you see in a lot of countries in like Southeast Asia or South yeah, Asia. Not at all. But I think like, so something like that, I think could make an absolute killing. Yeah. If, if Especially because like so many people in New York City go out drinking and then they like on the way to the subway, they stop at a halal cart or yeah. something like that. Like if we, if we could bring that, those types of things to New York, I think the first people to set those up would make a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. There has to, but there also has to be... There has to be, yes, there has to be something to like break that mold of what people here think of Indian food. Mm. Because most people are like, oh, Indian food is chicken tikka masala and not. And I'm like, okay, well, chicken tikka masala is not even Indian. It's British. 
And a lot of the Indian food that folks here are exposed to is North Indian food um, or British colonialized Indian food, which is like not even scratching the surface of what we have to offer. Yeah. And I always say like Indian people are terrible marketers because I, I wish we were better so we could bring more of that culture and those different types of dishes to kind of the Western world so people can understand all of the cool things they could be eating that are vegetarian. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I have not been to India. I was in Sri Lanka, which obviously is very close to Southern India. Yeah. And there's some, there was at least uh, in my experiences, there's some crossover between uh, cuisine from South India yeah. and Sri Lanka. But yeah, I guess I had never thought of that in the same way that people are like, oh, Chinese food, but there's Sichuan. Like there's, there's, yeah. I mean, China is massive as is India. Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. I think there's also like, um, for the uninitiated, like there's a stereotype or a stigma about Indian food, right? Like, oh, like curry is very pungent. Um, yeah. And I think that that's another thing where, like I was just talking last episode too about durian. Like I know people who've never had durian and they're like, oh, isn't that that stinky thing? I'm like, yes, that stinky, really freaking delicious thing. So like you need to try it. Um, oh, I've tried it. I couldn't. Oh, no. I couldn't do oh, it. I love durian. I couldn't. What was the smell? It was... I don't know, it's all of it. <laughs> yeah, the texture actually is kind of weird too. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's kind of creamy and you wouldn't think it'd be like that. But um, but I mean, to your point, I do think that there's probably still some breaking through maybe in terms of Indian there's cuisine, in terms of lot, like popularizing yeah. it, yeah. Yeah, because even, so you mentioned curry and that's also a misconception. There's actually, there's, there's, there's nothing, quote unquote, that's a curry. That's, oh. that's another westernized. Term, really? So yeah, we don't. We have dishes that will be more like dry style, like tandoori, which is like Mm. baked in a clay oven. So it's more like a kebab or a a dry style dish, like a barbecue dish. Then we have dishes with gravy, which like it just means it's saucy, which Ah. generally are referred to as curries here. But it's there's no such thing as a curry. Like if any, if you, if any Indian person. Like if you go home with any Indian person and they eat with their family, like no, there's no mention of like curry. None of the dishes on the table will, will be referred to wow. as curry. There's really only one dish that has the word curry in it, at least to my knowledge, which is egg curry, which is um, it's a, it's an egg dish made either with whole boiled eggs or poached eggs um, or semi-boiled. And it's kind of stewed in this very spicy gravy and that dish is referred to as egg curry. But Whoa. other than that, there's really no curry. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. So are there places then that you know of in New York City that maybe offer a more like, uh, diverse range of Indian dishes that are not that sort of Americanized? Yeah, there's a lot of good South Indian restaurants that are popping up where you can get oh, cool. dosa and okay, yeah. just that giant, very thin Indian crepe, as it's referred to. There's also the dosa man cart mm. in Washington Square Park. Oh, okay. He like stands there and makes dosas like all year round. He's pretty good. Is it like the really long ones? And yeah, they're, they're kind of crisp. that's that's yeah. paper dosa. That's one style. That there's all different styles of dosa. Okay. Um, actually, just ate one last night. Um, there's a couple of restaurants in Midtown that offer really good South Indian food. Um, another popular Indian style food is. Indo Chinese. Really? Which is, yeah, Indo Chinese is like huge in India and it's also, it is quite popular here, which is 
basically just a crossover of like Chinese food, like Szechuan style Chinese food and okay. Indian food. Wow. <laughs> so you'll have dishes like chili paneer with like the Szechuan peppercorns, like sauteed. It's like very spicy. It's really good. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I got some things I need to try. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So then how, I guess, did you get noticed by the Food Network? Did you have to try out? Like, how does that process work? Yeah. Uh, so it took me a while to sort of build my career. I, this, this, this question is actually a little bit deeper than just like, how did I get on Food Network? Because for someone who hasn't gone to culinary school or worked as, you know, a line chef or an executive chef, there's a lot I have to do to build my credibility in mm. the space. And I started my blog uh, 10 years ago now uh, when I, it was like a year or so after I had become vegetarian. And I started it in an effort to share different vegetarian dishes with mainly like the Western world or America. Because once I became vegetarian and I went out to eat, especially New York, as you mentioned, which is so diverse in terms of culture and food offerings and whatnot, I would go out to eat and I would tell them like, oh, I'm a vegetarian. And they were like, oh, well, you know, we have the salads and the side dishes. And I was like, I'm not a fucking rabbit. I'm not yeah. eating salad. Like, I've <laughs> never eaten. Like, I, I just don't eat salad. That's like too much chewing. It's way too much work. I'm like not doing that. And side dish. Like why would I come to a restaurant and eat a side dish? Yeah. Like, so it just occurred to me that people here just aren't privy to all of the cool things that we could be doing with vegetarian food and what they could be offering because I grew up with an endless number of dishes that had nothing to do mm. with meat and by default were vegan actually, we just didn't refer to it as vegan. So I started my blog in an effort to share um, all of those recipes and like the cooking that we had developed throughout the years with like my generation here. And so from there, I actually used Twitter at the time. So this comes very full circle, but mm. I used Twitter at the time to put my recipes out there because it was the only public social media platform available. And so I would put my recipes out there and be like, hey, you know, Goya beans, I made these enchiladas with your beans, <laughs> like check it out. And they would like retweet it and like engage with it. And then I built my following through there. And through every corporate job that I had, I incorporated food in some way. So this will tie back to food, okay. I promise. So all throughout this time, I would, I had auditioned for um, the Food Network star. Okay, yeah. And, uh, you know, I would go to the wow, open, I that, yeah. yeah, I would go to the <laughs> open casting calls. And to me, I was like, I cook well and I'm young and I could be cute on camera. Like, this is like this should be a shoot in. And I would, I went to the first, um, the first audition, like this is a while back now. And what they had told me was like, oh, well, we don't really understand like your pitch or your, your brand, like what you're mm. offering. Like maybe you have to like, like clean that up and come back. And I was like, all right, fine, whatever. So then like a year two later, I went again and my pitch was very much more like Indian influenced vegetarian food. Okay. And their response was, well, we don't think the network would be ready for like a full-on vegetarian show. And I'm like, okay. But wasn't, uh, didn't Guy Fieri come up through that, uh, through the next Food Network? Yeah. Story? Okay. Yeah. They have room for that, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's, I mean, no disrespect, but. But it's who they're catering to, yeah. right? So I'm not sure if 
middle America wants to right, say right exactly you know, brown chick you know cooking a vegetarian di- I don't know right that's my assumption so after that obviously it was a little annoyed <laughs> and I'm the type of person that does not take no for an answer and so I just started building more of my platform and my brand. And while I I was at Bloomberg, so I worked at Bloomberg for about like three years and I led our data science team there for Bloomberg Media. But if you've ever been to Bloomberg, I'm not sure if you Mm -mm. have, um, the offices are very cool. And in, uh, in each of the offices, they'll have something called the pantry areas where they have like snacks and like drinks. Been to Google. So I know sort of the idea. Google's a little bit different. They have like full on like Uh kitchens, like Twitter, we have like full on cafeteria, but it was not like that. It was more like you get snacks and stuff, make toast and whatnot. And so when I was there, I, I loved like the pantry area and I was like, Hmm, I wonder if I could like make myself breakfast and lunch here with the things they have to offer. And like, see how creative I could be. And this was also mainly to save money. So I can, maybe if I can make myself yeah. meals here <laughs> that I don't have to pay like $15 for like a fucking salad at Chopped or something. So I started making some dishes and I was like, oh, these are like really cute. And so I just started taking pictures. And then I was like, I think I'm going to post this. And I just created an account and I called it Bloomberg Pantry on Instagram and I just posted, you know, my dishes like, oh, took the made like a tomato soup because yeah. I took the tomatoes from like the crudite bar and sliced them in half, warmed them up with a little bit of water and put a little bit of honey and like salt and pepper. <laughs> it literally would do things like that. And then um, it started gaining a lot of following because like... I guess people liked the food content because it was mainly for, I, I targeted towards like employees. And okay. so anyway, I was flagged by the central marketing team there because they were like, who the hell is this? Like they're taking photos of, you know, the food in here. They haven't taken any permission and Bloomberg's really tight. Whoa, really? Yeah. So I met with them and they were like joking with me and they were like, oh, you're fired. And I was like, what? I'm like three months into the job. <laughs> oh, man. What am I going to tell my parents? Like, what the hell? And they're like, oh, no, we're just kidding. We really like what you're doing. It's really cool. It's Whoa. great, it's great okay. for culture. We want to use it for recruiting. And it shows a different side of Bloomberg. And, you know, we'll just work with you to, like, make it official and vet it and all of that. So it became, like, an official Bloomberg account called Bloomberg Pantry, which is hilarious because if you think about Bloomberg, you're not thinking about food. Yeah, exactly. But we gained a lot of... It was really good for recruiting at like colleges and like to show the different side of Bloomberg and like the culture and like how it could be fun and more techie mm. and all that. At the same time, I had discovered a show on Food Network called Cooks versus Cons. And I actually don't think the show is on anymore, but Cons being like convicts? See, that's <laughs> that's the that's the response I get all the time and I'm like no, I'm not like a badass that's been to jail and like <laughs> like busted out and I'm like on a cooking show, even though that would be hilarious. No, um, it means con artist. Oh, okay. So it's like, I know, I know. Maybe that's why it's not on Food Network anymore because they didn't yeah. improve that marketing. Um, so I discovered this show and I thought it was interesting because it was the concept of putting professional cooks against amateur cooks. And in this case, I would be considered an amateur cook Mm -hmm. because I have a full-time job and um, in something that's not cooking related and I'm self-taught. And I applied for that show and I had all these different attributes 
under my belt in terms of like building my credibility in the food space. Um, I was writing for a couple of different publications. I was doing all this stuff with Bloomberg and um, building my network. And I auditioned a few times for the show and I finally was casted. And so it's kind of like third time's a charm because I had auditioned twice before for a Food Network show and it didn't work out. And then the third time I finally got on. Um, And in this one, it was interesting because I was going up against really good professional chefs and uh, it it was, so it was that much more valuable to me when I actually won the show because I cooked all vegetarian. Right. And, you know, I beat out, this executive chef from like a really high end, like prominent restaurant in North Carolina who like made some organ meat or something. Right? And so I'm like, okay, this guy's, I legit thought he was going to win because he was like doing something with like lamb hearts or something. But, yeah. But I made a nacho cheese pow budgie, which is a really Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I like, I know you can't disclose like certain aspects uh, of the show because um, they like to keep things tight. But do, do you come to that knowing what you're going to make or do you have to just like react when you see the ingredients? Um, it's it's generally pretty much all right on spot. Okay. Um, there's very minimal prep time. I think it, the, the night before, maybe day of, they allude to what is going to be like what what might be on okay. the show as like a secret ingredient. Um, only because I need to just, if there's something special that I need, like an ingredient, that they need to make sure that they have it I gotcha. on hand. Um, but really, no. It's kind of all like, you know, when Jeffrey Zakarian is like, okay, the secret ingredient is like nacho cheese. I'm like, okay, but nacho cheese what? Yeah. Like... It's like all different weird shit, like nacho cheese sunflower seeds, like nacho cheese kale chips, like nacho oh. cheese. Like who's, who's eating this shit? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know this stuff was made. Were so. you like practicing at home, like setting a 30 minute timer and just like cooking fast or anything? Like, um, Yes and no. Not much prep time for me because if you look at my blog or anything that I post on social media with my recipes, they're actually all 30 minutes or under. Mm, okay. Because I work full time, it's it's like that much more important for me to, to cook in minimal time because I'm tired. Yeah. (laughs) So all of my recipes are catered towards my lifestyle, which is someone who's working full time, but still wants to eat something that's yummy and satisfying and healthy and, and beautiful because I'm, I'm visually drawn to food. So, so yeah, to be honest, not much prep time for me. Okay. Wow. Well, so, okay, so you win the show. Yeah. You, or Staten Island has the honor now of having its first <laughs> Food Network winner, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I've seen that you've been getting like really cool partnerships through food and like gin and things like that. <laughs> uh, like, did winning that show change your life? Yeah. So I think getting on Cooks versus so even just getting on the show, having the exposure of getting on the show, but then going that extra step step and winning it um, really put my food and who I am on the map because it's so hard. The food industry is so weird and it's so hard to build that credibility and even chefs that are highly rated that have gone to different culinary schools that have been executive chefs at different restaurants, like 
they're even working just as hard as I am to build that credibility. And I think in our industry, there's this sort of new subsect of chefs who are like me, who aren't traditionally trained, but have something completely different to offer Mm. that is on an even playing field with someone who's been to, you know, like Cordon Bleu or whatever. And uh, I think for me, winning that show was able to prove to um, many people in and outside of the industry that um, I have something good to offer and that they should they should take a minute and have a look. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> awesome. And you also, uh, I hope it's fair to say, like shatter maybe some like chef stereotypes too. Because we talked about, I think sometimes people who, who haven't traveled uh, off of either coast, right, off of the West Coast or the East Coast and traveled to Middle America, and I'm not putting those people down, but it is much more homogenous than the places, like than the cities that we're from here on the coast. Yeah. And also, you know, celebrity chefs in the food industry is largely up until now-ish been men who have been featured. Yeah. Um, and like Meanwhile, you said, it's, it's the women doing all the cooking at home. Right, please, especially like when you go around the world, like who's who's running uh, kitchens is, is moms and grandmothers. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's that's amazing. And you're, I, I don't know if this is purposeful branding or um, if it's just worked out this way. Well, uh, I mean, your social media, you do it really well. So I know that that's uh, purposeful. Like you talked about like food looking appealing and like your Instagram, like, Everything's really vibrant and looks really cool and looks fun. Thank but you. even like on the show, and maybe it sounds silly, and I know people have asked you about your glasses, but like they're very noticeable on the show, right? Because um, they're bright yeah. <laughs> and they're big, and it's almost like uh, a branding tool. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. So we, there is a story with that. Oh. I actually do wear glasses. Like I have. Like now 12 pairs of glasses and I, I think I picked up this habit from my dad he's like very he's very chic and has multiple pairs of glasses like that's his accessory like the way the way women will buy you know a Louis Vuitton purse uh-huh. or something like his <laughs> is like all different styles of glasses and um, since a very young age I've been wearing glasses because I'm Indian and it's hereditary and we all have bad vision even though my mom stuffed carrots down our throat <laughs> she was like the beta carotene's gonna like Reverse it. Yeah, and we're like, no, mom, this is hereditary. Dad has bad vision. Just <laughs> but I've been wearing glasses like my whole life. And uh, when I was going on the show, they said we had to wear like minimal makeup. And I was like, why? Hmm. I was like, this is like my national TV debut. Like my future husband out there could be watching. <laughs> I don't want to be like greasy and hideous on TV. And they were like, well, no, you can't be super done up because like, your identity is supposed to be sort of hidden because you're fooling the judges in terms of like who's a professional chef versus who's an amateur chef. Okay. So if I come in all like done up, then it's like, okay, this it's is a tell. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, I was like, I have to do something. Like I can't go on TV just like being boring. So I wore my glasses. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to wear my glasses and I don't have my contacts on me, so there's no way I can't wear my glasses because I have terrible vision. So I wore my glasses on the show. That's what happened. Well, I mean, it worked, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it so, partly... so people started recognizing yeah. me via my glasses from the show. So it became like a trademark, I guess. 
That's awesome. So it was kind of intentional, not intentional. Like I didn't think it would pick up in the way that it it did, but. Well, I saw too, you've used it um, as almost like a cartoon caricature figure on your pop-up materials. Oh, cool. You have them. Yeah, I have. um, Well, I have. So this is like. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So your business card, people can't see it, but it's your logo with the glasses. Yeah, it's yeah, become smart. like a symbol for 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 me yeah. to identify me. And um, I like it because it's not, it's not straying away. It's exactly who I am. Like I am very dorky and like I wear glasses all the time and it's part of my lifestyle in general. So irrespective of me having, you know, worn it on the show or not, I would have been wearing them. Like, you know, regardless of that. Yeah. So. <laughs> so I saw too in this past year, you've had uh, a couple of pop-up events. Yeah. What, like, what's your motivation for that? Because again, like you're working full-time at Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems like a really large undertaking. Are you, um, are you eventually trying to open a <laughs> restaurant? Like what, what's the idea behind that? Yeah, a couple of reasons. So I've actually also guest chefed at Twitter itself. Oh, um, wow. A lot of the tech companies do host celebrity chefs and guest chefs to come and cater the lunch one day. And so I've done it at Twitter a couple of times, which is really cool. But the reason for the pop-ups is, you know, I started cooking because I, I love to cook and it's a creative outlet for me and it's very therapeutic and I, I think I'm good at it. So there's that piece, but... The other piece, and I think the more important piece is um, I cook because I find that when people eat my food, they enjoy it and get enjoyment out of it. And so having people eat my food is like having them have a part of me without being too emotional about it. I'm, I'm fairly emotionally inept. So food is like my vessel and canvas to share. I understand that. <laughs> so... I think having people actually eat my food and enjoy it or, or not enjoy it, whatever the feedback may be, is very important for me, hmm. especially in this world of, and you know this, like all over Instagram and Twitter, you have so many people that are just taking photos of food and posting it there and getting hundreds of thousands of followers and they're not actually cooking, mm-hmm. and really not sure what the talent is there. Um, so for people like me who actually work hard and cook, the most important piece is having someone actually eat it. And, you know, if I've been on shows and I've won competitions, there's clearly something to say for that. So everyone should have a piece of what I'm making. That's cool. So I started doing the pop-ups in an effort to share my food with people um, and test the waters to see which one of my dishes could actually be successful if I were to open a brick and mortar place. Um, Who can I collaborate with? And just also challenging myself and and doing things where I partner up with different restaurants that had different cooking styles and cuisine styles where I can see how I can fit into that. So the last one I did was a barbecue restaurant. So I did a full Indian-inspired vegan barbecue and you don't necessarily oh. think vegan and barbecue. Yeah, exactly. But, but I did it. And so, yeah, I think it's just, and it's a lot of fun to also work with the kitchen staffs and which is also primarily male, which I have to say everyone... It's all men yeah. back there, which is also another weird, whole other topic. But um, I, have, I have worked, like as a teenager, I worked in a, in a kitchen, but yeah, I get it. I, I know what goes on back there. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was, I mean, it was all, it was all fine. I was just, yeah. it was just an observation like, oh, wow, I'm the only chick here. So how exclusive are these? Like, let's say you have another one coming up. Like, can, 
can people buy tickets to attend? Yeah, yeah. The last one was opened. We sold I sold out in less than a week. I didn't oh. think that that would happen, but um, I definitely have other pop ups in the works for this year. So hopefully, we'll do something for Q one. Um, Q1, January, February, or March, for those that are not in the (laughs) corporate world, Q1. Um, uh, They're definitely, they will be open. Um, My mission is to get more people who aren't necessarily like directly my friends to come and try my food and enjoy it because that's the only way that I'm going to grow. If I have the same people coming and eating Mm. my food, like they already like my food, like we get it. (laughs) And I love the support, but... Um, I have to start expanding to audiences that don't necessarily directly know me. Yeah. Um, I've seen you talk about sustainability as well. I saw yeah. your, your tater tot waffle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it, does that go into like the pop-up as well, trying to like eliminate food waste and things like that? Yeah. So the first pop-up I did this year was with Gotham Greens. Okay. Which um, I'm not in, sure if In you're, Brooklyn, I think. Yeah. So their first rooftop, they're an urban um, sustainable rooftop farm. Oh, cool. So they use a technology where they basically use minimal water and recycled water to grow their produce and herbs year round on New York City rooftops. So it's really cool. And they've expanded now cross country. They're in, I think, Rhode Island and Chicago. I oh, think wow. they're going to LA. Like they're getting huge. And I've been using their products for a long time. So when I had the opportunity to work with them to do one of my first pop ups, um, it was really cool because they're promoting sustainability through using our spaces in mm. New York City and other like major metropolitan areas in very creative ways, um, providing produce at low cost year round and also using minimal water, which is, I don't think people realize how much water it takes for any sort of agricultural effort. So partnering with brands like that is very important because it helps um, shed light on what they're doing and also the importance of sustainability, but then also practicing, um, practicing those sustainability kind of lifestyle measures within your day to day. So I do a series, I haven't done one in a couple of weeks, but a series on repurposing leftovers on my Instagram. Cool. Because so many people I know my age will go out to eat and then they won't pack leftovers. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why? They're like, oh, I'm not going to eat that. And I'm like, okay, but you could turn it into something else. Because most restaurants here aren't mandated to compost. So that's just going in the waste. So what can we do to, to help in reducing that? Let me tell you something. So <laughs> I've only... Essentially, yeah, no, I've only worked in uh, Title I schools. So um, they get a lot of funding for different programs and school lunch has always been like entirely subsidized to, to mostly subsidized. Um, and I've been in schools where they cannot repurpose the food, they cannot use it, and they cannot give it away if it's not eaten. So at the end of the day, there's 250 lunches left, like that all goes straight into the trash. It's really sad. And and that's honestly like, uh, I want to have faith in humanity, but that's honestly because I think they're afraid that people will sue if they get sick or something from food. But Each state has their own regulation though, I think. Oh, okay. It's different in... That makes sense actually. California. Oh, Okay. Yeah, everything's different in California. They've got a lot of really progressive uh, laws, and, and yeah, that's interesting. Um, but that's, yeah, that's that is a cool concept. Um, when is all this coming out into a cookbook? <laughs> that is the age-old question. Yeah, so I'm actually in the process of writing it 
right now. Awesome. Um, I actually do owe my agent a couple of things this week. So we're hoping, hopefully this year, um, it is it is tough. The cookbook pieces is also an interesting industry because if you see a lot of cookbooks are written by food writers, not necessarily cooks or chefs. Mm. Um, and it's changing a bit. I see. I definitely see more cooks putting out cookbooks there. Um, and I'm talking outside of celebrity chefs, right? Uh, so for me, it's it's a little bit of a challenge because even though I have a blog and I write a lot, it's a different style of writing mm-hmm. when it comes to a cookbook. So um, and it takes time. So hopefully, hopefully this year, crossing my fingers because I have a couple of other things happening this year. So hopefully we can align around then. But yeah, there's definitely a desire and I've had a long time desire to put kind of my work and my food and just kind of my story into a cookbook so people can understand that um, there's a lot of cool people out here doing cool things in the food industry that aren't necessarily, you know, the Bobby Flays of the world. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you are quite fortunate in the sense that you're having your cake and eating it too. Like you have um, a full career in tech, but then you have this passion that you're monetizing and uh, it's turning into multiple avenues, right? So there's TV, there's internet, there's potential book. Um, Maybe it's a hard thing to answer, but I think that, uh, you know, in 2020 now, there's so many people who are looking to either monetize or turn their passion and their interests into what they do. And they're, you know, not doing maybe traditionally what our parents did with a traditional career and a 401k and all that stuff. Um, you know, a lot of blue collar jobs and things like that. What do you think it is that's, that's made you successful thus far? Uh, I think it's just putting my stuff out there, Mm. right? I think I started my blog um, during a time where social media really wasn't that huge. As I mentioned, I used Twitter, which was the only public social platform to actually connect with anyone publicly and socially. There was no Instagram or anything. And so I started at a time where we had minimal resources besides the blog and something like a Twitter um, but I felt f- for me personally, as I mentioned earlier, it was cooking for me as a creative outlet and it's very therapeutic and it's, it's a way for me to express myself. So keeping all of that in mind, that's what sort of drives me to continue cooking. And I think if you really love doing something, then whatever means it takes, like you should just practice it. And if you want to put it out there, put it out there. But I know tons of people who do cool things that don't necessarily like want to put it out there and want to turn it into a brand. But if you have a desire to turn it into something else and have people notice, then no one's going to notice if you don't put it out there. And and to be honest, I'm I'm my number one fan and my <laughs> number one advocate. And I'm constantly pitching myself and... Um, talking about food and my career. And if I'm not doing it, then no one else is going to do it for me. So. Yeah, I think I think that's it right there. Like a I, little conceited. No, <laughs> listen, like I always say, you have to take the plunge. Whatever it is, you have to take the first step into something. So yeah, if it's writing, then freaking write every day. <laughs> if, yeah. it's, if it's YouTube videos, make a YouTube video every day. Uh, if it catches, it catches, but it's not going to catch if you don't do it. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know if they're trying to kick us out. I saw this guy just peek in here, but I'm going to play ignorant and just keep going until they well, do so. Five minutes, right? Yeah. 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 We'll see. We'll, we'll see what they do. Maybe we'll go five over if they, we'll see. Um, you were just in recently in Portugal, in Lisbon. Yeah. Yeah, that is the last place outside of the U.S. that I was as well this past oh, summer. Oh, wow. How did you find it? So I actually was there on one of my first international projects for Chef Priyanka. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it was for Taste Made and Contiki, so... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. So do you know Taste Made? I know Contiki, yeah. Oh, okay, great. So Taste Made is one of the largest uh, like digital food platforms out there. I think, I think they're larger than BuzzFeed Tasty. Um, And between their following on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and they have their own network where they put out original content and shows. So I've been doing a lot of work with Tastemade over this past year, contributing to them. And Contiki is uh, UK-based, but they're one of the largest um, kind of international travel programs for young adults between 18 and 35. Mm. And we did a project in Lisbon where uh, we were going through Lisbon to discover their history and cultures through their food. Cool. And it was interesting. A lot of people were like, oh, it's, it reminds me of San Francisco. It reminds me of San Francisco. And to be honest, I didn't get that feel at all. Mm. I also have a very strong negative opinion on San Francisco. But I could see why they say that with the trams and the bridge, which was actually designed by the same architect and designers, oh, the Golden okay. Gate Bridge. So because of their seismic plates and all of that, it's like the geography. So I get that. But the feel of it was not San Francisco to me at all. I found it to be um I found it to be really cute. I thought it was like a more quaint um Barcelona or Madrid, mm. but not not similar in terms of food. I found there to be a lot more variety in food for me, especially as a vegetarian. Um the culture and history is definitely interesting because Port- Port- Portuguese are one of the earliest colonizers of different lands. Yeah, there was so much I learned even to like how long fascism lasted in Portugal. Yeah. Because uh, we went to a museum there. Um, but yeah, uh, like even like colonism up into or colonialism up until like the mid 1900s 1900 sorry in Angola um yeah pretty that stuff is pretty shocking to learn about I even though I teach history and I didn't know that stuff um but yeah uh and there's a strong connection between Portugal and India because they colonized India mainly South India wow way back when yeah wow um I was really blown away. I mean, maybe this is silly, but like how much graffiti. Yeah. Everything in Lisbon is covered in graffiti. Yeah. But it's like cool. It's it's, it's cool graffiti. Yeah. A lot of it goes back to that like um, political resistance to yeah. fascism. Did you go to the LX factory? Uh, yeah. And the um, there's like a food hall there, like the yeah. timeout or something's yeah. right nearby Time there. Out yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, we did do that, yeah. Actually, I totally forgot about that. And there's all little shops and stuff. Yeah, it's cool. It's a cool place. Um, so is is that a project that's going to? Maybe I can't ask this, but is, is that going to be on TV or? So it'll it's come it'll probably come out in the next couple of weeks, and it'll be on YouTube and all of the Taste Made and Contiki social platforms. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll it'll be fun. It was definitely it was definitely very fun to film. So what's your uh, we're 2020. 
What's your What's your 2020 goal for for Chef Priyanka? God, uh, I would say the 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 lofty goal, which has been a long time goal of mine, is to um, is to try and put together or get on doing a full-time show Whoa. for for myself, whether that be on linear TV or digital. Um, I think there's just a lot more that there's so much I have that I want to teach people and I want to share with people. And I think the best form and platform to do that through mass media is through TV. Um, I also love being on camera and love the whole like production life. I just think it's fun. It's I've always been like teased in terms of I'm very like clowny and animated just as a person. And I'm like, well, it's great for TV. So <laughs> put me on TV. <laughs> but so I think that's the lofty goal of mine. And then getting the cookbook out, that is definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like I priority. said, I think you definitely have the personality and clearly the work ethic and the ideas for something really great. Yeah. They're, they're telling us to get out of here. Okay. Um, so where really quick, where can people find you? You could find me at Chef Priyanka on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and on www.chefpriyanka.com. And go to the show notes. I will have links to everything. You know where to find them. Priyanka, thank you. Thank you so much. That is a wrap on episode number 138 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Priyanka for coming on this episode for educating me about Staten Island and about Indian cooking. I probably sounded like a total fool, which I usually do. It's hard for me to be as educated as all my guests on all the amazing things that they're doing. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Priyanka, for coming on. Thank you to all of you Voyagers out there in the Voyager universe for tuning in, um, for following, for communicating, for giving me feedback, all the stuff that you do. I appreciate it. I'm hoping to have a lot of really cool stuff for you here in 2020 and in the early goings here in 2020. I'll be recording tomorrow and I've got two next week, so things are off to a hot start. Okay, everyone, thanks again for listening. And as always, please take care of each other. Until next time.